welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, everybody. Wanted to give you a little intro for this podcast. This Icon Series podcast is with Pete Shepley from PSE, who is celebrating 50 years as a compound bow company this year. I thought it would be awesome to sit down with Pete and talk about many of the things that he's experienced in this archery industry because Pete is the oldest living compound bow designer or bow company owner that I know of. He's outlived Fred Bear, Tom Jennings, Earl Hoyt. I mean, he's one of the very few that can tell the stories of these guys back in hunting camps, which I got to hear some amazing stories after the podcast about some of his hunts with with Fred Bear, some of his experiences at the tournaments back when they first started. And I think this is such an important person for the people who love the archery industry to be able to hear where things started, where things are going, and be able to actually have a long, in-depth one-on-one with someone who has done a lot in regards to the innovations and different technologies that we shoot. I know that my first bow I ever bought was a PSE. Same goes for my dad. First bow I ever saw him by himself was a PSE and going back to my very first archery tournament I remember saving up to buy the first bow sight I'd ever seen with like a fiber optic uh, pin in it and it was like a PSE uh, sight I don't remember the name but it was awesome to sit down I'm super thankful for this I feel like I wish I would have I wish I would have got to know him a lot longer ago. I've seen him over the years at so many events, and uh, it was just an awesome podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. This is going to be one of the podcasts. I don't know if I'll have them all in a row, but I want to do a podcast that are all in sequence of what I'm going to call the icon series. I want to, I want to do a podcast with all of these icons of the sport of archery in different fields. And thank you for having me. This is pretty awesome. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in, is this your man cave? Technically? This is my cave. I'm sitting in the man cave of Pete Shepley, PSE archery. This is a, it's the first bow I ever bought. Do you know that? The first one. The first bow what I ever the that I ever bought myself was a uh it was a Thunderbolt. It might have been like a Thunderbolt is long the first time of the first cam. <laughs> yeah. Steel cables. Steel cables still had the first cams though. I think it was the Thunderbolt was back in that day anyway. I can't yeah. remember exactly. <laughs> they were the silver cams that had the it was at the time, to be able to adjust the draw length with all the different slots, that yeah. was a pretty big deal. Right. Yeah. I got it at uh, 
Gander Mountain in Wilmot, Wisconsin. I know right where it's at. I used to go up there and buy all my reload and stuff from Joliet when I lived there. Did you really? Yeah. Okay, well, so this is what you don't know. I purposely, we've got to shoot the bull for a few hours, which has been spectacular, but I didn't want to tell you some things. But so do you know where I got my start in archery? Like who taught me how to fletch my very first arrow? Not a clue. Mike Donovan. Mike Donovan. From Gat Guns. Gat, I was going to say Gat Guns. Yeah. Yep. So Yeah. The, well, you were quite a ways from Gat Guns, though, weren't you there? Well, I lived in... Just over the line? I lived there? in McHenry, Illinois, but I drove up yeah. to <clears throat> Wilmot to, uh, to get my first bow. I see. But, yeah, my very first job, and for those, those listening know that I left a football scholarship to work for this archery shop for four dollars and ten cents an hour it was mike money then huh it was mike donovan mike donovan yep and so the very first time actually i had a pse i went to this uh, my very first tournament i was in a rehab for my knee that i injured Mm -hmm. and i was a bow hunter at the time i'd bow hunted Grew up shooting at this little club called Fox Valley Archers. Sure, I've been there. Have you? Sure. 100 times. <laughs> 2D, 2D targets then. Yep. So Fox Valley Archers. Um, I had shot a lot when I was like Fox 10. Fox Valley right near Rockford. Yep, yep exactly. Sure. Um, yeah, I forgot because. I grew up in Rockford. Exactly. That I haven't Pecatonica, got to. Pecatonica and Durand. Yeah. I've driven by the first, uh, the very f- your first building. It's was still on, it's still there on the side of the road. Yeah, it's in. In Muhammad, Illinois. Yep, yeah. south of Dixon, I think. No, south of uh, Muhammad. Okay, I've I've driven past it shooting like some of the shoots used to be so vast. There's used to be so many in that area every weekend. Yeah. But uh, so I was in the process of rehabbing my knee, and I was driving down this road, and I was, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of. It was nor I think it was like Ringwood, Illinois, is I think where I was, which was just south of Wilmot, across the border, and I saw this sign that said 3D shoot. So I pulled in, went to this tournament. It it was the first time I ever saw 3D targets mm-hmm. with scoring rings at Fox Valley Archers. All like every year there were, I think there were two shoots a year where the members made targets out <clears throat> of like foam. I was there. They would create them. That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know that. Raleigh Mansky is the guy in Aurora, Illinois, that started it. <laughs> and then we would put the metal rings on, right. and we would do the shoot twice yeah, a year. get white fur for polar bears, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff. Were you there for that? Yeah. I was in the middle of all that. I yeah. was right I was from there, Joliet too. at the time. But yeah. I really grew up in Rockford during the summer farming. Yeah. But, uh, but I was in Joliet and the Joliet Bowhunters. So, uh, yep, yep. That was 30 miles from us to Aurora. Yeah. And Raleigh Mansky's the guy that put all that together. Aurora Sportsman. Aurora was, Sportsman's. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, so well, I shot there hundreds of times. <laughs> it was only 30, 40 minutes from us seeing Joliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to this tournament, first time ever. This is like early 90s. Went out. The people were, you know, people were telling me, you know, you judge the distance, you shoot. And so halfway through the range, I was already out of arrows, out yeah. of arrows. But I kept seeing these guys that were like, had shirts on. They were, I know they were bright yellow. And 
at the I ended up leaving the shoot because I was out of arrows, left the shoot, drove up to Wilmot, went to Gander, bought more arrows, had them cut them, drove back to the shoot so I could finish. No way. And it was the fir- <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever felt defeated by a sport, like majorly defeated. No kidding. Cut. And by the time I got back and finished, they were having the awards and they were handing out awards and several of the top guys that were shooting had these shirts on and on the back it said Gat Guns, Dundee, Illinois. This was yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah. So on Monday, I was at Gat Guns. Yeah, they were great customers of ours for a long time. Yeah. So I was at Gat Guns and I was in there just kind of awkwardly stalking these guys, asking them all these questions like, why do you have this? Why do you have that? I mean, and obviously Mike Donovan was kind of, he was, he was a pretty big name in like from a bow tech from you know from a bow mechanic point in of northern view northern illinois everybody knew him yeah and so i'm in the store kind of stalking his customers watching them shoot in the range and i was shooting at the time i was shooting like a golden eagle hawk hunter i think i had a wooden lens on it mm-hmm. and uh pete or um mike had a customer come to the counter and the customer i could hear him having the scuffle about why aren't my arrows done so Mike had, as always, that shop did a lot of a lot of bows. They they, they turned a lot. So Mike <laughs> ends up coming around the corner and he goes, "Hey kid, what are you doing?" And I said, "Just kind of watching these guys shoot." And he goes, "Come back here a minute." So he pulled me into that side room, you know, that the big wall of bows. And I was the, never there. Oh, you never went. Never went there. Okay. Well, I went into the end, brought me in this little room, and he goes, "Okay, I'm going to show you how to fletch these arrows." You know, got this wheel. These are called jigs. Slide an arrow in there. Kind of walk me through the process. And he just said, just keep, go to the next arrow. Go to the next arrow. When you get to the end, take the clamp off. Turn this thing one click. Keep going. And he said, when you're done, come out and tell me. So I just sat back there and did this. Well, it went on a month. He'd be like, be here tomorrow. So I'd be there the next day. You know, I'd. Pour concrete in the morning, noon, I'd be at Gat Guns, and I'd just start doing this for him. Well, I kept seeing him every week hand out paychecks to guys. And I remember his main bow tech at the time, I know his name was Norm. I think I remember that. And anyway, I I said, uh, hey, am I going to get a paycheck? And one of the things Mike told me that I'll never forget is Mike Donovan looked at me and just said, you cannot put a value on what I'm teaching you right now. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> get free labor, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I love and that I'm one. literally in this back room well, you got you just with up. cardboard boxes, yeah. one table. Like There's barely a light back there, and I'm just fletching these arrows isn't that, that you know. So that was it. That was where it was started. And then uh, – yeah, Mike. Mike told me that I needed to to buy a PSE, and uh, that's that's where it started for me. Hmm. That's like where that's where me getting serious and competitive archery, like actually going to tournaments. What year that, was that? That it would have been end of '93, somewhere in there. That late. Yeah, and it would have been. Uh, like 3D Times was really popular back then. That 3D yeah. Times magazine, 
Um, remember Leilani, I think her name was, that ran that magazine? No, I don't I remember the name. I don't And then I shot, I just started shooting all those tournaments. Mm-hmm. Joliet, Aurora Sportsman's, Janesville, mm-hmm. um, Sycamore Bowman, I think. Yeah. Um, Dixon. All of them. Dixon. Yeah. Dixon sure. had one. Then the, uh, I forget what tournament it was, but there was, um, this was the first time I met Steve Gibbs was down at um, Shelbyville, Illinois for yeah. some big tournament. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like an IBO, some big IBO that th- was I there. I think it was down there, yeah. So I didn't go to that, but, uh, yeah, we, we, were go- we were gone by then. You were, we were gone by then. So yeah. when did you start PSE? Like Se- 70. 1970. Yeah. So it's uh, – but I started archery like – when I was like four years old, but it was in the when mid forties. F- when you were four, four or five, yeah, in probably f- nineteen forty-five or so. Because my grandpa and I he, at Rockford, I grew up in the summer at Rockford, and uh, he farmed up there, and he's a real outdoors guy. We fished and hunted, running trout lines, and we did all that kind of stuff. Where at? Was he in actual Rockford? No, it was just ten miles west at uh, Wimpletown. Okay. Uh, yep. Well, it's not too far from Pecatonica or Durand or yeah. Harrison, all those towns. Yeah, my dad still lives in uh, Sycamore. Yeah, sure. We drive to Sycamore on the way from Joliet to <laughs> yeah. Rockford. Yeah, so, yeah. So, but, uh, what was it like back then? Like, how big was Rockford? I don't know. It's pretty good size. I don't. Was really it remember. still? The only thing I remember about Rockford was going to uh, the John Deere dealer to get parts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, when you're the farm in those days, you're breaking everything. It's a rocky kind of country, you know. So oh yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, but I remember all the days of um, going to Aurora and all that. All those I went to those tournaments everywhere, all the time. In those days, we would start in the bareboat days. We would go and shoot 56 targets in the morning at one range, drive 30 or 40 miles, and shoot 56 more in the afternoon. That's what I drive did. Drive home. Yeah. That's what I did. I told I told someone I shot a hundred club shoots in one year, and they couldn't believe me. Yeah. And I said. I'd shoot. I could be at two, sometimes three a weekend. I could shoot two on a Saturday, and I'd pick the furthest one away to hit on the Sunday. Right. But you could do like if the if the schedules hit, you could do, um, you could do like Janesville Bowman and still make it to Sycamore. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you'd do like Aurora Sportsman because you'd have to right. be in the city. Because I lived at that time, I lived in Johnsburg. Aurora Sportsman was that one out west of town there. And then what's the other one? It was right. Aurora Sportsman was west of Chicago. It yeah. was out like just a um, western suburb of Chicago. Well, they they had two clubs in Aurora. Yeah, Aurora Sportsman was downtown. One was over by the windmill. Where, yep. where was the windmill? I think that was just called Dutch Aurora. One. I think they just called that Aurora. Could be. I can't remember, but yeah. And that one was always long. I always remembered that one had like long shots. There were yeah. some ranges that were. Like Janesville's, Janesville Bowman, they yeah. were always like I, fairly short shots. I, won't even, I think I was only at Janesville maybe once or twice, but you were shooting 3Ds then, though. There. Yeah, at that time it was 3D. Yeah. You were you shooting like the old that, paper broadhead, like where you just had a mound and like a paper target, or? Well, um, most of most of the tournaments we were going to were field archery tournaments. Oh but yeah. Then when they had the the 3D tournaments, most of them were in the earlier days. Those were all handmade targets, mm-hmm. and they were all three dimensions but might be a you know a polar bear or yeah an elephant or whatever it might be yeah they're all handmade by a couple of guys everybody made their target and put it up yeah. on that position someplace on the range yeah so, yeah 
So this was quite a ways before than the early 90s. Yeah. This was... Uh, this was back in the uh, mid mid to late eighties. I remember yeah. the first homemade three D targets. Yeah, it was earlier than that. But I had a I had a gap of when I was kind of playing football through high school and stuff to where I didn't shoot a lot of archery until yeah. all of a sudden I made this. You know, I just happened to see that sign that said three D archery shoot, and I was like, "What is that?" Yeah. I was still hunting, but I had no idea that that world existed. Yeah. What was it like in the 40s with your grandpa? Well, we just, you know, I was a little kid, but uh, we farmed and uh, there on Route 70 outside of 10 miles out of Rockford. And uh, But he just, he, he was an outdoorsman. He came from Tennessee during Prohibition. And um, um, he lived there in that time. So he was a hunter. I mean, they, they, they hunted and fished all the time. So when I was up there, he knew that I, he got me liking it. So, I mean, we would fish and... And we'd run trot lines at night, and um, then we'd be bailing hay all day or doing something. You know, it's like, uh, but no one could afford a could afford a in those days. A farmers couldn't afford a hired hand. So, if there was a day off from me from school in Joliet, which was 100 miles away, they had me at Rockford all day to work. So, <laughs> I mean, there wasn't any decision what I was going to be doing. I was yeah. working. And then my my mom's sisters had husbands that were dairy farmers, so I was either at one of the dairy farms in the morning. And then I custom bailed all day, and I was only like eight or nine years old. But who was going to run the baler? Yeah. So I ran the baler. <laughs> so, but that's the way it was. And we ran, we bailed for everybody because if you didn't bail for everybody, no one else had a baler. No one could afford one. Yeah. And we couldn't afford one either unless we bailed for everybody. Yeah. You know, so that's the way it was. And um, I mean, I loved it. But what about we your never dad? worked on Sunday. Did your dad do much? No, my dad was the head of bread route in Joliet. And, it's uh, weird that it's common yesterday. I did a podcast with a guy. His grandpa got him in. My grandpa was the first that took me. Um, Don Trump Jr. is a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. His grandpa was the first to take him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yep. That'll be darn. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, it's That's kind of a funny pattern. Yeah. So did he... Did my he... grandpa was a trapper, and he did all that stuff, you know. But I wasn't there to trap in the wintertime. So. What was the bows like? Well, we were making Osage orange bows out of yeah. Osage orange. We had hedgerows, big hedgerows of Osage orange. And we'd find a limb that looked right. But the boat only lasts 30 days. As soon as it dried out, it broke. Yeah. But we had more on the way. We'd have five <laughs> or six or seven of them, you know, in the in the little uh, in the garage where we had all those wood tools and stuff like that. So we'd have them in progress coming. So we just have to make a bowstring, and the bow was ready to go. It sounds like when I shot my high country Excaliburs, I always had to have a bow on the way. Yeah, <laughs> but I got there one arrow. This. I got one arrow a week for working. Also. Really? One arrow a week, and I got five hundred rounds of twenty-two long rifles though too. So I wore out guns. On. It's too bad you couldn't have saved all those twenty-two rounds yeah. for like five years ago. Well, when I got were about. But, but I made big money shooting the twenty-two because I'd go to all the farmers' places and I'd shoot the pigeons out of the barns. But the rule was I couldn't put a hole in the roof. Yeah. So. I would kill hundreds of pigeons with these, hundreds, and um, I so I got the rifle. Yeah. You still have it? I got the rifle. Yeah, it wasn't mine; it was my grandpa's. But when he died, I got that rifle. What was it? Mossberg like- Mossberg target rifle. Really? Bull barrel. I don't know if he's ever seen one. Really? Nobody's ever seen one. Yeah, I still have it. It's crazy, but it's uh, but so I got you know on Sundays. No, we didn't work on Sundays. It was just the rule; nobody worked on Sundays. So yeah. I'd go to somebody's barn, someplace, um, and shoot pigeons. I'd clean them out. You know. It was kind of crazy, but 
was good at doing it. So, <laughs> and I didn't put holes in the roof. They what know. made him decide to shoot like tri archery? I don't know. Um, the um, we we did that when I was smaller, but uh, when I was uh, probably in the end of grade school, we had a neighbor up the street of us. I can't even remember his name anywhere. He belonged to Joliet Bow Hunters, so one day he knew I liked to do all this stuff, you know. So he said, "Come on, let's go with me out to Joliet Bow Hunters Archery Range," and we went out there and. I was hooked, you know. So then, then uh, American Archery was in, was in Clarendon Hills, Illinois, just between Chicago and Joliet, like 30 miles away. Okay. So I got to where I would go up there, and I would hang around. And Pinky Wild was the guy who ran part of the shop up there, and uh, Mr. Layer was the guy that owned it. And uh, they had guys like... Uh, um, can't remember, I can't say the names of them anymore. But the famous world target archers, you know, that I'd read about in the books. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd work on their bows. I, I mean, I got to do all this stuff. I first started making arrows, then I could paint bows, and I could tailor bows, and I could do all that stuff. It's like now, exactly the yeah. pattern that Mike did for me. Yeah, like, so I, yeah, so anybody, anytime anybody was going to Chicago, they knew they better call to see if I wanted me to, because it was just right off the highway to drop me off at American Archery, and then he picked me up on the way back. And sometimes if I had, I mean, I'd get somebody to take me up there every day if it, if I had to. I never stayed over up there, but I kind of lived there, you know. So I made arrows. I did everything. I, I did bows. I, did American archery, like, really resemble, like, them in high country had almost identical bows for a small period of time in the well, 90s, Well, when I was they? doing it, this was all recurve. Yeah. yeah it was all recurve. I was, I mean, this was, was that that same, was it the same company, I wonder? No. It was different? No. But American archery was sold at one point in time to, um, I don't know if he's a football player or what, but anyway, he's a big sports guy, and they moved it to Wisconsin, and it got moved a couple different times, but this time, of course, I'm, I'm kind of grown up. So was it a pro shop mainly? No, a- no, it was. they still made bows up there, but I can't remember the town they were in in Wisconsin. Okay. But they never had the fame or the fortune that, you know, of, that did in the early you know, days when I was hanging around there because they were making bows for the some of the top two target shooters in the world you know yeah and you could count them on both hands there was not very many people was it always uh field archery but then everything no there was target archery and, and we had a target archery range in in uh, chicago down by the lake and then um, peoria illinois yeah, yeah. brown yeah. county indiana yeah. all those were target ranges yeah but i would say 90 90 percent of the shooting we would do would be field archery and um and uh, then the target range, uh, when they have the target tournaments, like a state championship target tournament. I loved them all. I liked all of them. But the 3D archery didn't start coming in until until the early 70s, when Raleigh Mansky started it. That was way sooner than what I thought. Remember when Clinton, Indiana was going? Yeah. Oh, there? yeah. We started all that. That was one of the better shoots that you could shoot, period. That yeah. was a big shoot. Big tournament, yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. Clinton... Um, that might have been the first money I ever won. At Clinton? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that was a big tournament. We went there was... one time. Uh, all of our shooters were there, and somebody was telling us, well, you target shooters, you're paper punchers, you guys couldn't win anything. I says, let's have a bet. <laughs> and they had trophies that you had to kick a pickup truck, take them home. Yeah, things. yeah. Big trophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, I'll tell you what. Well, uh, you get 10 guys? Yeah. Okay, I got 10 guys here. Let's have a bet. I'll bet you we beat you on every position. We will win all ten first ten positions in this tournament. You want to bet? Oh, you guys can't possibly do that. You can't beat us. We did. 
the whole world turned against us. But we were all accomplished target shooters. See, at the time, field archery and target archery and everything else, this was a piece of cake. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the whole world got mad at us for that. So we never shot it again. But we're always there for the show and doing everything. When you say we, was it Just American or was it, are you saying target archers? No, well, it was, it was PSC stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was the beginning of PSC in those days, you know, it was pretty much. So when did you, when did you actually, you started PSC in 70? 70. Okay. Yeah. What was, was your first bow recurve? I mean, it would have no, had no, to no, been. No, 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 compound bow. Oh, it was? Yeah. I made three bows, one for George Chapman, one for Jerry Smith, and one for me. I had a Sears I drill press. I didn't know George was here that long yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. He was the first employee. Really? Yeah. And uh, he and his kids, and Jerry Smith and his kids, they were it's so close, I can't remember which ones were first, but I think George's kids were maybe the first. But uh, we made three bows. Out. I had a Sears drill press and a belt sander. And uh, so I got, a, I got a castings made down in uh, St. Louis, sand castings, sand, magnesium sand castings, ground those out on a belt sander underneath the tree in my yard and painted them with a black spray can with wrinkle finish. <laughs> Got these boats put together. We went to a tournament in Muncie, Indiana to uh, their state championship. Yep. And we kicked butt. <laughs> we sold 200 bows that weekend. Really? I had no clue how I was going to make the first or the third or fourth, the fourth bow. I had no clue how I was going to get the fourth one made. But we made them. And we how got, much were they? I don't remember now. 125, I think, something like that, <laughs> which was a lot of money then. People standing in lines. and So then uh, that was like winter time, the end of the winter season. And we were going to, we always went to the National Field Tournament. See, so and it was, I think it was in Aurora that year in the early 70s, 73, maybe something like that. 72, I'm not sure. But anyway, I wouldn't sell anybody a bow unless they promised me they're going to that tournament. So we, I made like, I want to say 46 bows was the number, but roughly 50 bows I got made by July. Some of the guys got the bows the day before they were leaving. And uh, so, and that was the, the year before that we were, I was there shooting a Dickie, shooting a, a Golden Eagle bow handle with Dickie Roberts limbs on a recurve bow. Yeah. Frank Ketchum showed up from California with a Jennings compound bow. And, I've heard that name. And. Gave us a lesson in shooting. <laughs> anyway, it was really fun because I had him down the first days, the first uh, three days of the tournament, which was in the woods at the Aurora Range, yeah. which where the windmill was. Yeah. And that's where they had the national tournaments at that range. And uh, I had him down the first three days pretty good, but I was in a no-win situation, so it didn't help him any with the compound bow. Then the last two days we went with the hunter round and the, and the animal round out in the open. Yeah. Um, because uh, like fields. half that place was wide open. Wide open. And uh, he took me downtown and beat the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I lost my, I got second in the tournament. There was a lot of people there. And uh, I got second in the tournament. Uh, I think he beat me by 23 or 28, which was a lot of points, you know, at that yeah. time. But he's, he, I mean, he's a little short, chunky guy shooting, a, you know, Jenny's compound bow. And he had that thing wired up. And of course, we're all shooting release aids by that time. You know? Yeah. And um, he, he, this guy could shoot. Frank Ketchum was a great shooter. And uh, but it was, I mean, it was. You know, I felt lucky to even be in the same ballpark with him after we got out in the wind. Really? There. Oh yeah, shoot, he was just kicked my butt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those are fun days. I mean, those are great days. You know, those are really. How many people would be there? I don't know, uh, six, eight hundred, I think. Really? Yeah, six, six or seven hundred, something like that. Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty pretty good crowds. That's surprising. I'm just guessing that, but I think it's pretty pretty close. Wow, 
Mm-hmm. So would it be multiple days, two days? Oh, five days. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Five days. I didn't know how long they had done that. So yeah. that's been since way back. Way back. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I went to every field archery national championship for years. And um, I won the, uh, this is from like the 50s I went. So so I was at a lot of these things. Uh, but when in the 60s, then I was going to the national tournament, stuff like that. But um, then we were, we, we, I went to a couple of world championships and, and one in Darmstadt, Germany, and I didn't do very good. And uh, then Were I, there good Europeans then? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the good guys were there. Not, not as many of the top shooters in this country were there yet, but uh, I went there in, uh, I don't know, a couple of years later. So what year did you Sweden. go to Germany? Uh, well, the, the, I won the one, and I think it was like, I think 81, I think. I'm not sure if it was 81 or 82, but somewhere in that neighborhood. What airline did you fly? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Were people smoking on the plane? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Eight, nine, well, let's see, Germany had been, did you lay over like in Amsterdam maybe or something? No, we flew right to uh, Frankfurt, I think. Oh, dang. We rented a car. So you had 10 and a half hours, yeah. full smoke on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there was any of that at that time. But anyway, we uh, went to dry ice Germany right near Frankfurt, and I won that one. So then I got those world champion, and that was really kind of fun. That's amazing. But I always kid everybody. I said, What'd you win? I mar- got a medal laying right over there. Is it really? Yeah, yeah I'll show you. <laughs> I want to see that. That's <laughs> fascinating. But uh, I don't know how many people were there, but I'd say maybe four or 500, you know. Yeah. It's pretty fun. And, uh, but I kid everybody that I made Terry Braggs. He'll say, stay home so I could win it. <laughs> <laughs> but he and he and Michelle didn't go that year. Or if, if he'd have been there, or Jack Kramer, you know, or you know, uh, Mike Leiter. Yeah. These guys, these guys are the kings. There I were, heard there Mike ten, Leiter. There were was ten guys that in, in, in the top twenty. That's Pete's ringtone. Just in case anyone wants to know. <laughs> Got it shut off. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, there was. I always looked at myself being in the top twenty most of the time, because there were those ten of those guys uh, that they could each win any weekend. On that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. bad guys. These guys could shoot. Yeah, and these these guys were shooting. I could shoot a low five fifty field round out of five sixty. These guys could shoot five fifty six to five fifty eight. Yeah. So they were that three or four points ahead of you. You know that. Yeah. Pretty hard to, you know. Uh, it's hard to make up on those. Yeah. When. Um, so you started 70. When did things really start? Was At that time, was PSE like the kind of competition bow then? Like yeah, well, for, we did everything. From ba- for Bear's point of view, were like they mainly focused? Bear wasn't even around then. Not in compound bows, no. Not for a while yet. I don't remember what year they started, but they were behind us. So who was like the main players? Allen. Okay, Jennings, that's right. Olympus. Carol and us. Wow. And they're all gone, except me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they just. That's got to feel good. Yeah, Olympus was, uh, they had some tough shooters from uh, from Texas. These guys could shoot, and they were shooting Olympus bows. There's some good guys on there. Could do so that. when did you. There's re- good guys all over. So were you super competitive? Like, were you like, I need a team that's going to dominate these guys? Obviously, you yeah. said they had some. We'd- Oh, yeah, no, we're always looking. You know, George and I would look. We'd go to a tournament, we'd look, and I'd say, George, come on, look at this guy. You know, we'd look When like did that. you get Terry? Oh, we got Gail Cavillan first. 
and Gail Cavlin, he was at Vegas. We were at the Vegas tournament. I've been to like 50 of those. So when was the first one? 70. Where at? At the convention right. center in Vegas. But there was four before that that I wasn't at. Some of them were out. I don't know if one or two of them was outside, I think. I can't remember. Jake spent all of them. Was this old Vegas, like by the Nugget and stuff? Um, no, it was at the convention center, at the, right next to the Hilton. Yeah. That's where the first tournament was okay. that, I, that I was at. Okay. There was a couple of before that, maybe four, but before that. So they were like from 1966 to 70, but I was there in 70, and I've been there pretty much every year since, but there's two times I didn't shoot. I've been there I think, every year since, but there's two times I didn't shoot because I had a broken arm from a horse wreck, and then I had a rotator cuff, at one I couldn't shoot either. So Were you riding back then just because of yeah. where you came up from? You are still... Yeah. yeah, that didn't ride. I ride. Yeah, I just got riding horses out here when I was out here. Okay. Just roping, team roping. Yeah, but. Uh, so you got your first shooter, and so then yeah, we're walking down the line, and I said, George, come here. I want to show you something. He says, What do you got? I said, I got a guy you need. To look, we need to look at. I see that guy right there. He's that tall, good-looking guy right there. I said, Yeah, watch him shoot. Says, George says we can make national champion out of him <laughs> by July. I says that's what I think. Okay. Let's get him. <laughs> and uh, the kid was just fresh out of the Navy. He uh, he played pool in the Navy f- for four years. That's what he did. He was a, he ran a post office on a carrier or something, and uh, he played pool. He had a pool table next to his office, and that's what he did all the time. You didn't want to play pool against him. <laughs> I matched him one day against Minnesota Fats. He killed Minnesota Fats. Really? Killed him. Yeah. Just couldn't. At a big convention in Chicago at the... At the uh, uh, what's the, what's that uh, big convention thing there? Anyways, the National Sporting Goods Show. Yeah. And big pool table companies right across the aisle from us, and I had a little fold-out card table. That's all I had. We, we're just starting. <laughs> and uh, How many bows did you have on it? I think two. Did you have a yeah. banner? No. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> did you at least have a shirt? Like, did you write, I don't, I don't did you write PSE in a marker or something on your shirt? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember if we had anything like that. This is so we, awesome. So we had a fold-out table. I know that. And uh, Gail Cavill. I'm hoping, Mike. I'm hoping, like, I'm glad we're plugged into the wall because mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to end up being here till tomorrow. <laughs> this is fascinating. So Gail, uh, Gail was standing there looking at the Minnesota Fats playing. He says, Gail says, Pete, I can beat him. I said, Gail, that's Mr. Minnesota Fats, <laughs> and you can't beat him. He says, I can beat him. I says, Okay. You want to find out? Let's find out. Okay, as I walked over, I says, Mr. Minnesota, I'm Pete Shepley. You don't know me from Adam. And he says, says, kid thinks he can beat me, doesn't he? I says, how'd you know? He says, I can tell the way they watch me. I've been through this a a thousand times in my career. I says, you want to play him? He says, get him over here. I'm going to teach him a lesson. So I got, Gail, come on over here. Now (laughs) 50 people are standing around. Now 100 people are standing around. Now there's 200 people standing around. Minnesota Fats never got to hit the ball. I don't know what game they were playing. Gail killed him. Oh, my God. Just killed him. I said, Mr. Minnesota, what do you think? He said, that kid can play pool. He said, oh, he said he's in the wrong business. He can play pool. <laughs> I said, he's in the wrong business. I said, you run into these kind of guys all the time. He says, I run into guys like that every night, but not quite like this kid. <laughs> That's awesome. He said, this kid, was, he's phenomenal. And uh, But anyway, so we started from there. And then Mary, Terry and Michelle were – came to us out of high school. I mean, they were literally just out of high school when they came to work at PSC in Muhammad. And uh, and they got married there. And, uh, I was were they dating then? No. Mm-mm. 
but, but she was shooting and Terry was shooting and then they met shooting. Yeah. And Terry said, I'm going to marry her. And I says, I don't think so. And <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. So they did. Anyway, just the best couple ever. They How many, for I heard years. Terry was just like athletic as they come. He was very athletic. I heard he was like a push-up machine. Is yeah, that true? Very strong. Yeah, you wouldn't, you couldn't. I mean, I couldn't beat him arm wrestling or anything like that. He's, he's not a very big guy, but he's very, very strong. Yeah. And, uh, and Toby Ragsdale came, and then the, then Rags, their dad, came. She worked yeah. for us, you know, and their mom, Ruth, came and worked for us. And so it was a great family. This, you just you just can't beat him. So I was a presenter for him at, in the uh, Archery Hall of Fame last year for well, the both of them. It was really fun. Scott told me that, and I, I was – Honestly, I don't know how I didn't hear that, but yeah. I would have went to that just to see it yeah. because what a perfect person to Yeah. It was I was nervous as nervous as could be in that thing. I was just scared scared to death. You know, there's four or five hundred people in the audience. I don't know, there's a bunch of people Were you wait. nervous when you got inducted? I'm not inducted. I've never been in it. But I got voted now to be inducted just now. Which one was this one for then? This was for the the Archery Hall of Fame. Oh, Archery. Because I saw your bow hunting hall of fame. Uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Were you there? Yeah. yeah. Yep, I was there for that. Yeah, in Vegas, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be darned. Yeah, so anyway, um, it was, uh, I was really nervous. So I had Toby come up to me, and I told Toby on the microphone, I said, I got a different take on this. I got help for this one, you know. And Toby had the picture of Terry holding the release aid with all the sexy models standing around him. <laughs> He didn't think it was funny for this. So we stopped that real quick. I said, Toby, if I stutter, you step in and talk about talk about Terry and Michelle. It was really great fun. And we people say, How did how did it work? I said, Well, we made him laugh and we made him really cry. Yeah. And it was great. It worked out good. Well, I remember my first memory of Ter- Terry Ragsdale was um and today when I came here, um I went by the I went by PSC and yeah. I and I hadn't been here and I thought we did we say it was like 24 years ago or something Probably, like that. Yeah. So I, when I came here then um I actually came here with Randy Chapel back and then uh we I did that star shoot. There was a shoot going on inside, but I remember all of a sudden Terry and Michelle like it was five o'clock and I think the shoot was over and then all of a sudden This was right at the factory. Yeah. That was the last a, one we did there probably. And so all of a sudden here Terry comes walking around the corner into like where you had some 20 yard targets mm-hmm. and he just comes walking around and then he just picks up a bow and he just starts just pounding this five spot. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at Randy Chapel and I'm like, I think that's Terry Ragsdale. And he goes, Oh yeah, that's Terry Ragsdale. And then all of a sudden he like shot a few times and then he just leaves. Hey, yeah. It comes back and he's got a different colored bow and he starts shooting a little bit and then he leaves again and like that time he didn't shoot as much and then all of a sudden about 30 minutes later because we're practicing at the time yeah 30 minutes later he comes back he's got a, looks like a different bow and he's shooting again and then i'm like what's he doing so randy must have knew Randy had to have known Terry then because oh, Randy sure. had shot the perfect 400 by then. Uh, remember when uh, Chapel shot the – he was the first one to shoot a clean IBO round. Oh, is that right? Remember, I remember the it, name. Remember I... the PSC poster that said, this Chapel's on fire? Yeah. That was when Randy shot the 
first ever 400 at an IBO back yeah. before there were 12s. So we asked him, what are you doing? And Terry just, he said, well, if the bow will shoot exactly where I want it to, then I keep it. If not, I just get another one. And he was like setting up a bow for something, but yeah. like he wasn't like me where he would tinker around. He would just like build one. And it's like, are yeah. you my princess or not? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, a lot of that in those days. But, yeah, he just, like, he didn't – it's not like he was sitting there moving a rest around and stuff. He would set everything evidently exactly where he wanted it, and then he came out and he just saw how it acted. Right. And then, you know, which is a lot different. Most than of today. us were doing that in those days. Really? You know, same thing. I shot a spring arrest, you know, with a – he shot one then. Yeah, and springy wrist, and uh, I wanted to tear a quarter-inch left high tear. And if it if the shot if it was doing that, I'd let it alone. If it didn't, I'd just run the tiller different on the limbs until it did it. And Do you still believe it. that way? Like, do you, yeah, what, what, is, what does paper tuning mean to you now? I, I paper tune. If it, if it shoots a bullet hole, it's, it's probably good enough. But I don't get real technical on just – but I'm not trying to be competitive anymore either. But Do you think a I bullet like, hole tells it all? No. See, I agree. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I want your opinion on front of center. Are I'm you a shaft. I, I've never been a big deal on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. People, but I would change weights in some of the things. But I would never, you know. Was it about how it grouped? Yeah, that's all. Yeah. If I, See, yeah, can I shoot X number arrows in the bullseye? I have a buddy of mine that just said I list because I did a podcast um, about a month ago because I'm. There's some people that are so stuck on this FOC, they're like, I need 20%. And they're going out with like 200 grains in the front and they're realizing, yeah. you know, and I'm, it's just like, there's more to this. Like, yeah. there's more to it. And I agree, you know, I, I understand like, yeah, you might have good penetration. It, maybe it groups, but because you have the perfect combination. But I also know that there's bows that I've had very, very high FOC that actually perform worse than ones where I don't. And yeah. a really reputable buddy of mine said, you know what? I listened to that podcast and thought, I'm going to take three different spine arrows. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to shoot them. I'm not going to even think about FOC. I'm just going to go shoot. And he said, I shot one. And he said, when I had one, that was by far the best shooting setup I've had in years. He goes, I measured the FOC and it was like 9.5. <laughs> and he goes, I've been so stuck on thinking i have to have 15 percent plus yeah and he's like 15 percent plus does not shoot better for me and i said you know what i feel the same way like sometimes i feel like you don't want to give the front of the arrow all the control you know it seems like there's fletching on there for a reason yeah do you agree yeah yeah we, we got uh, we do some playing here and one of our engineering guys and he two fletches everything really so I'm a four fletch person. Seventy yards, I know you're. <laughs> what are you? Four. Yes. <laughs> High five. <laughs> yeah. He's nope. a two. He's a two. But and we look at which way the arrow's spinning. We look at way, which way the string is twisted. We he looks all this stuff over, and he uh, he uh, he's got a formula that he does with it. This this guy's a super engineer. Okay, I'm going to talk to him. No, you're not. <laughs> he uh he's he's, magic, he's a magic guy no, we'll, 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 do, we'll get together we'll have him come, when he comes down we'll do that when you're <laughs> when you're listening if you're listening call me pete 
Pete says we're not allowed to meet. But <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet. But he's uh, he's got a uh, he he's really thought about this a lot, and he's uh, some of it came from the development of the uh, Tech 15 crossbow. You know, this on the you know AR 15. Yes, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, playing with two fletch and stuff like that. You know, uh, um, oh, you know, you saw, you've seen people shoot arrows. Which you can take them with your phone and watch, put it on a tripod and watch your arrows out there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You watch the, well, does it hurt to stop and switch it away? We don't know that yet. Yeah. But do I want to do that? No, I want it working all the time, personally. But I don't know that that, that really helps. But we've learned a lot of stuff on things. And uh, I know that he can he can shoot a big fixed blade broadhead with two fletch at 70 yards and shoot them in a wad like this. It's crazy good. And uh, so... You know, can anybody else in the plant do it? No, he's not in the plant, though. He works off-site. But, uh, he's a super engineering guy. You have him in, like, some four-foot silo underground? We, yeah, we have to keep him hidden. <laughs> no, he's a, you'll, you like the guy. You'll, uh, you got to play. You come down and play with him sometime. You'll uh, be worth it. be worth it. be fun. You know? Yeah, that'd be super and, cool. Yeah, I'm totally into that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's different, isn't he? Way different. Yeah, one of the things that I think is important that I – continually want people out there listening and people within the whole archery community is there's brands that a lot of people favor, you know, you you got guys that are Fords, guys that are Chevys. Sure. Actually, when I pulled it, when I came here with Scott, cause I had Scott bring me out here. Um, we talked about that. I'm like, honestly, I don't, I'm not like particular to a particular car. Yeah. If someone makes a good model of car, I like it. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. like, I don't have to. And actually, I think the reason we said that when we pulled up, he goes, Pete's still a Ford guy, but I think he's going to be a Ram guy. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, possible. I've got a Ram. I got a yeah. Ram. I love mine. I well, just, if, I, you're, if I'm buying a truck for the ranch, it's a Ram. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, we're in a dusty conditions. You got to put a new air filter on it every week. Afford air filter? Yeah. You can't afford them. <laughs> okay. Really. So, I mean, and the uh, uh, the resale value of a truck, if it's not banged up too bad for ranchers or farmers, they'll buy the Dodge every time. Yeah. Change the oil on them, and they run forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you take care of them. So, and that's what we do for the ranch. They are all, they're all Dodges every year, or every couple of years when you go in. If you... <clears throat> If you could pick one thing you could do differently at PSC, what would it be? What would have what would it have been? Well, I don't know. It's uh, mean technically mean mean both. I just stuff? mean like, <coughs> um, well, I guess I didn't finish my last statement. What where I was going with that is, I'm really, I'm really passionate about. I'm doing everything I can to grow archery. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people coming into archery that don't go into archery shops. Yeah. Quite frankly. We have a lot of people that are coming in that that come to me for mainstream media. They watch YouTube videos. They sure. they do it themselves. They never go into a shop. Yeah. And I'm and I started from a shop, you know. And I I still say like pro shops are like lifeblood to our industry for sure. No question. But I also feel like there's people that will not go into one, and there's people that. Because they're we'll not treated all, right yeah, when they go in. There, there's people that will only shoot Hoyt. There's people that will only shoot a PSE. There's people that will only shoot a Bear. There's people that will only shoot a, sure. um, you know, I guess a Matthews or a Botec, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I don't ever want to be cornered to say the people that I'm teaching can only have these products. I feel like it's really important that we stick together as a community, you know, regardless of what corner you're in, so to speak, when you're at that tournament, you know, if you're one of Pete's 10 horsemen or whether you're one of Randy's 10 horsemen or whether you're one of Matt's, it doesn't, you know, I still, I still think there's a really important aspect of us learning new things and growing the sport, representing it properly, not having negativity or turmoil within our own fences. Right. You know, I think it's like, I think it's critical right now. Yeah. I more, think more so yeah. than any, more so than ever. Yeah. Am I, am I right? Yeah. I think when it comes to growing the sport, everybody comes to a meeting and take the gloves off and leave them home. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and let's, let's try to grow it. Don't just try to grow it for you. Just yeah. try to grow it for the whole thing. Very difficult to grow the sport. It's been difficult. Okay. Well, you came from a card table with three bows on it. You came from sanding a bow and under your front tree yeah. to PSC archery. Been here since 70. If there's, do you have one mistake you made in yeah. business where you feel like, you know, <clears throat> that would have been something I would have done different? Yeah. What is it? Well, I asked every, every time we were in trouble or in, you have to do something different, I would uh, have myself or our guys, our engineering guys, we'd engineer ourselves out of the problem with a new bow or a new something new, new technology or something's different, you know. Yep. But you can't do that anymore. You've got to market yourself out of the problems. I really? Think, yeah, I think the marketing is... Um, I, I don't think people can tell the difference... Beginning people can't tell the difference of a really good bow versus a mediocre or a junky bow. And uh, I know you can pick one up and say, this is a pile of junk. This is great. I can do the same thing. And uh, and I tell people, you can't fool me with your bow. You can tell me all you want about how great it is. And I'll look at it and only have to shoot it and I'll tell you it's yeah. a piece of junk or it's, I'll, I'll tell you it's great. Yeah. Because people make good bows. There's several good ones, right? Right. I mean, <clears throat> there's... Right. And the, the difference now from being good to great is just a little bit. Yeah. And, and I don't think you, the average consumer would ever know. No, they won't. It'd take years, yeah. dec- a decade, right. to really be able to say this has this residual vibration that I can't feel on this bow. Or, yeah. Right. Well, that doesn't mean anything, but it's, it's really how the dang thing shoots. Yeah. You know, does it, does it, uh, you know that you can put a bow together, you can shoot an arrow out of it or two or three arrows out of it. And you know if it's right. Mm-hmm. I know you can. Yeah. Because I can do the same thing. Yeah. And I don't shoot that much anymore, but I still shoot. I try to shoot 10, 20 arrows a day. Yeah. But I don't shoot 200 arrows yeah. like I used to. So you know, some of that feeling goes away. But uh, plus when you, you know, I'm, I'm 78 in a couple of weeks, you can't hold the dang thing still anymore. That makes you crazy, you know. Yeah. So, but we have, we had a shooter school this, this last week with Alexander. Mm-hmm. So we have a shooter school or a dealer school over there. I, I, I just walk in there and announce and I... I said, FK, all you guys, get out of your chair. Why don't you go back out to your vehicle and leave everything you know about bows and arrows in the front seat of your truck. Come on back in, stupid, because that's what we want you. Yeah. And they all laugh. And I says, I'm not kidding. Yeah. And they, because I laughed. And, and I said, but that's where we'd like to have you. Yeah. Because we don't want you to have any preconceived notions about anything, shooting or anything else, you know, or the equipment or whatever else. We're going to teach you how to shoot. We don't care how the equipment is right now. We're going to teach you how to shoot. And last week we had like, 
I don't know, six guys, I think, were in there. I says, tell me who, you guys all punch the trigger? <clears throat> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. No, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. <laughs> I said, you, how do you know? You haven't seen me shoot. I said, I don't have to. 100% of the people come here, <clears throat> punch the trigger. Yeah. 100% of the people that shoot bows and arrows punch the trigger except the top shooters in the country. They all, you all punch. Yeah. You can't help it because you weren't trained any differently. But when the time you leave here, after three days, you're not going to punch the trigger. And, and uh, the guy, one of the guys said, nah, I don't think so. I, I, you know, <laughs> I, th I do all right punching the trigger, but I'm, I'll listen, you know, and stuff like that. And, yeah. And the end of the day, yesterday, and then this morning, guys, a couple of guys were in the pro shop and was there. They were just getting their couple shirts and then leaving and going to get an airplane. I said, you were right. I said, I know. <laughs> yeah, he's seen it I've enough. been through this a hundred times, yeah. five hundred times. Yeah, way a hundred yeah. isn't a proper yeah. number. There's yeah. no way. A thousand times. Yeah. And I said, You guys appreciate Alexander, don't you? I said, He's the world's best coach. This guy is tremendous. And he took us right off of punching and he said and Alexander's got in his phone all the groups these guys are shooting. This guy's shooting, you know, here's his picture with a group he's shooting, and he's shooting groups like this at twenty. He come in here, he couldn't shoot a group like this. You know, yeah. six or eight inch groups, he was lucky. Yeah. And uh, they were just absolutely blown away. And uh, that's the other thing that I'd want to do if I could change archery, make sure that no one started shooting a bow. Can't do this, but if he could, no one starts shooting a bow unless you're shooting fingers with a recurve bow or light bow. Just start that way and then advance into the compound bow if you wanted to. Or if you want to stay in, in a recurve bow and shoot that way, fine. But I want everybody to get the coaching. And there are not yeah. very many good coaches in this country. I think that's probably because if they get coaching, and I tell them this in the school, I said, "We, you get coaching, we will keep you. If you yeah. don't get coaching and keep getting coaching, we will lose you." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nothing's fun if you can't do it well. That's right. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I've said that a lot of times. When my, when my boy played video games, he played the same three or four games, and it was the ones that he could win. Mm-hmm. When they're ones that he continually gets beat, he's frustrated, doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know how it works, doesn't know what way to do the controller. Mm -hmm. Those things are just a waste of money. They're just yeah. gone. Yeah. I feel like I feel like as an industry, if we could do one thing different for people, it would be what shops did when they put the first bow in someone's hand and put like if they gave them a wrist strap release. It just seems like it's the common thing. I hear him to pull back, you know, look through the peep sight when the pins on the target just hit the trigger. Yeah. Like, that's the worst. Worst thing you can do. Right? We are going to lose you. Yep. It's like, there's going to, you might be great for a certain period of time, but it seems like when you hit that wall, it's, it's very, very frustrating for people. Yeah. And, and many times for someone, personally, I think someone that's not naturally competitive. See, I, when I got target panic, I was so competitive that it bothered me that I didn't have control of it. Everybody. But if I wasn't competitive, I would have just said, screw it. Yeah. I I'd have been like, you know what? That's, I can't that's 80 or 90% of the people are going to say that. Yeah, I can't do this. I'm going fishing. Yeah. No target panic and fishing. Yeah. Or well, yeah. Playing golf there is. You know, but that's pretty cool. That's a that's a really neat that's a neat thing. That's a good way. That's yeah. a good thing to change. I had um Evan Hafer who uh is the president of Black Rifle Coffee and I asked him, you know, if there's anything you can do different about your business, what would it be? And he said I'd be you know, 
slow to hire, quick to fire. Because he said, you know, I've had a lot of employees that I I hired, and he said, and I really trusted them, kept them. They put my business in a bad position fast because you put up I really wanted them. I kept, I almost gave them too many chances, and I thought that was a cool statement. I thought, I mean, that still that sticks with me now. It's yeah. like you know. Um, I think it's important not just for people out there that are business owners. I think it's because for those listening, there's far fewer business owners that'll hear that from someone that has a very successful business. There's way more people that would be the employees. And this is like, don't just listen to this people and say, oh, well, I don't have a business. So whatever. Yeah. No, you don't want to be the guy that he's talking about. Yeah. You don't want to be the person that, isn't doing every single thing to make your company sustainable because in the end your job your job is based on the company being successful you know that's that's one of the things that i always thought was really strange about bow companies is i've been in several and i've been in their string departments and like most of the people's morales and string departments they feel like I'm just back here serving a string, dude. Yeah. And I told, and I've told them, I'm like, you realize this holds everything together. You know. Yeah. This you have the most important job possibly to this whole completed product, because if what you do right here isn't done with a hundred percent of your heart, then that product. It, regardless of how good it's designed, it's not going to function the way it was designed. Yeah. I mean, I always thought that was kind of a, a weird pa- parallel too. I, I think that's a really great statement. And I, I, um, I go to sleep listening to Grant Cardone, you know, you know, his seller, seller be sold. Uh, uh-uh. he's, you gotta listen to him. I mean, he's got a 500 of these five minute to 20 minute things. He's got 40 books out there. And, uh, he's, uh, it's called, I've heard, what's funny is. I'll show uh, you on my phone here after a while. Really? But, anyway, but yeah, he says the same thing. He said, uh, when you need to get rid of somebody, it's called now. You know? <laughs> like I mean, it's kind of, kind of the way he said, yeah, don't hesitate. And uh, and like you said, you know, check the people out. But if it, if they're not working out, the effect on the group is terrible. Yeah. Because the whole group knows it before you do. Yeah. You know? And, you know, it's just uh, get rid of them and start over again. This, uh, yesterday I was up in Phoenix cause I got a new, uh, I got a toy hauler that I'm going to take to the total archery challenge, mm-hmm. pulling it up there. And I really want to have just this, I want to have just like a community hangout for our followers because we have, we have a very, very strong knock on following. Sure. And they're Volvo companies, all aero companies, everything. But, uh, you know, I, I just really want a home base for them. So yeah. I bought a toy hauler from from this company, you know, Roly White RV up in, in Phoenix. And they build them there? Um, no, they get them in, but they design what you want there. Yeah. I pretty much told them what my application was. They created this whole thing based on yeah. what I told them I wanted and how, mu- how easy it was to access or what I was pulling it with and everything. But... Um, I went and talked to like maybe six of their employees and every one of them was just awesome. Yeah. And I told them that when I did the podcast with them, I'm like, your employees are so awesome. They said, 
we have great people. And I kind of want to, I wish I would have stopped them and been like, great employees are also a reflection of great leadership. You know, if you have, if you have people around that are dragging everyone else down, that is a leadership decision. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's, it's easy it's easy to hire a really good person and then they're just down in the dumps because there's so much negativity around them. Yeah. That's one of the things I would do different. If I, if I were to pick one thing in my life that I would have done different when I would have had like, um, I just, I call them, I saw it in a book, but they're, you know, it was referred to as energy vampires, people around you that are just always the Debbie Downer mm -hmm. that are the negative. Sucking the energy out of the Yeah, guns, they yeah. just drain, like they drain the life out of you. I would have been faster to just say, hey man, you're a great guy. I wish you the best. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've, I've got a, I've, if I'm going to have time for a friend, it's, you know, it's yeah. going to be the type of person that legitimately, I feel like I feel like raises me to a new bar. You know, even if I feel like I come out and I'm super motivated for the day, like I love those people where when I talk to them, I'm like, I thought I was a 10. I was a nine. Like he's a 10. Yeah. So I got to, you know, I got to turn it up a little bit because right. this friend of mine, he's at a 10. I thought I was at a 10, but I'm only at a nine. Yeah. Those are the people I want around me. You get to find that out pretty quick when you're around somebody too. The older I get, I realize the, f the fewer the fewer people I really need around me. Do you yeah. feel like that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you've got a few years on me. I think gray-wise, we're probably f even. I shaved today because I didn't want to. <laughs> I figured if I showed up with a gray beard, you'd sure. be like, who is this guy? So I shaved today. But otherwise, my beard will look about like yours. Yeah. But d is that a fair statement too? Do you feel like, do you feel like, the older you get, you kind of realize there's certain people that are a hundred percent friends and there's certain oh, yeah, people. Oh yeah, no question. That, Absolutely. That yeah. friend, the friend circle gets smaller. Yeah. And it's way more important to you. Who do you wish you still had around you? For a friend? Yeah. Cause you told me you've lost several. Uh, Dave Snyder. And that's the hunter you're telling me about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Best 70, Andy Simon, new archery products. Yeah. Great friend. I never, I never He's met right Andy. There. He's right, one of the top, top guys. Really? Absolutely. Was he a genius? He was super smart. I heard he was very, very super innovative. Smart. Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. He and I started at probably within a couple of I weeks. I forgot. Of NAP was right there. Right. Same time we started. Were, were they really? In 1970, roughly. So did the Thunderhead come out then? Um, no, nah, it would have been later, but. And I'm not sure what he came out with first, but. Um, but we knew each other pretty quickly, you know, when we both started. Did he do the Thunderhead before a flipper rest, do you remember? I don't know. I don't know. That was one of those ones, you know, you get the phone That's call. kind of interesting that you yeah. said that whole hub right there was like the Mecca. Because I'm looking like you're talking about American Archery. Yeah. You're talking about you. You're talking about Andy. Yeah. Steve Gibbs was right there. Steve Gibbs is there with his, his uh, site. Yeah. yeah. He's Rockford, Illinois area. Yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Was he Beloit? Yeah, Beloit, Beloit. Yeah, him yeah. and Diane. North, yeah, north of Rockford there. So for the longest time, Steve wanted me to shoot a Sherlock. But 
I was getting sites for free from Scott Slate's yeah. Toxonics. Yeah. So I kept telling Steve, you make a better site, but I'm more or less living out of my truck going to these shoots. Yeah. I can't buy two Sherlock's because they were like 200 bucks, right? Yeah. And uh, he said, well, my rule is I never give a shooter anything free until they've bought our product and they, I know they want to shoot it. Like yeah. that was his rule. So I said, well, we're going to agree to disagree forever. <laughs> sure. Like, I love your site. You're yeah. awesome. Like I love Diane. Diane was like such a sweetheart. Yeah. And I didn't know her, but I knew Steve forever. And, uh, so I said, Steve, I can't, like I barely have enough money to come to these shoots. I can't buy a site. So yeah. anyway, one day Steve asked me if I'll go to dinner with him in Shelbyville, Illinois. And this is for whatever it was. I can't remember. I don't feel like Probably it the was. Probably first ASA down there, wasn't it? Was it IBO down there? I'm wondering it. I don't know if it was. Um, Shelbyville by Decatur. I'm wondering if it wasn't the NFA 3D Nationals. Yeah, it could have been. So we're at this Ramada Inn down there, and Steve said, do you want to come to dinner with me and, sh me and uh, Diane? So I go out to dinner with them, and I was, I think I was 21. And he and I was 21, and he said, I think they asked what I wanted, and I said, I, you know, I'll just have a water or something. And he goes, do you not drink? And I said, no, I don't really drink anymore. I said, I think I drank it. I had a tea. He goes, we well, should try a Long Island iced tea. I go, a Long Island iced tea, what's that? And he goes, it's like an iced tea, but it's better. I woke up the next morning with a Sherlock sight on my table in my hotel room. <laughs> and I came into his I came into his booth and I go, Did I buy this last night? And he goes, You did. And he goes, And here's your free ones. And I'm like, you son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how yeah, it started. Yeah, that true. was um that no, was, he in was the, at all the tournaments in the early days. He yeah, all that the, was in the mid nineties. Tragic yeah. how quick everything happened with Steve too. Yeah. I'm I actually Steve was one of those ones where he was really quirky, but yeah. he was also someone that was stubborn enough to be a very, very loyal friend. Yeah. Even though he was you know, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't have wanted to like work for him at the factory. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He told me one year how many 1099s he had. He's like, I, he goes, we're working on like these 1099s. They were, t or I think, no, they were doing W fours for employees. Yeah. He said something like, we've got, you know, did like 54 W fours, and I said. You only have four people back there, and he's like, he kind of looked at me like sorting them a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah, like that's his turnover rate. I thought, yeah. thought I go, Steve, that's terrible. That means, that means you're being an asshole to people. And he's like, I just wish people would do it exactly how I want it. Yeah. It, yeah. Maybe he, he, hey, maybe he was. He had a nice product. Maybe yeah. he was quick to fire. Could be. Maybe he yeah. was a pioneer. Yeah. He was maybe he started that just quick to fire, just bam. Don't do it my way, gone. Yeah. I don't I'm kidding. It's uh <laughs> I don't know, it's uh He was an impulsive guy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But those people 
people that have certain personality traits that some people like or dislike, they also are good at what they do for that reason. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always ad- admire people that I like them or not if they're good at what they're doing. Yeah. You do. Yeah, I agree. So, it's, uh, What's your most memorable hunt? I, <laughs> I hate it when people ask me that. I don't know. All of them. <laughs> Probably elephant hunts. Really? Yeah. Because of the danger of them. Just from an adrenaline point of view? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think um, if I go to Africa and do one thing, I'd, I'd do elephant hunts. But I want certain guys with me. Because otherwise you're going to get killed. You know what's funny is I don't think I would really have the passion to shoot an elephant. They're... Uh, I shoot a lot of stuff, but... Yeah, people think they're endangered. No, that's the opposite truth, you know. But um, they, uh, just like any game animal, they need to be kept in... Yeah, oh yeah. All... Quantities. All population has to be yeah. in check. But right? I like I like any of the African dangerous game. I like any of it. And, you know, people ask me that all the time, what's your favorite animal? I says, I don't know, I really love elk, elk, elk hunting. I mean, it's one of my favorite things. I think elk is probably my favorite. If yeah. I were to pit, if people were to say you could only, you could only hunt five days of the year, what would it be? I'd be like, mm. I'll be an elk hunt. It'd be an elk hunt. Sure. You know, depending on where I was geographically, but if I was in like an unreal bull unit, say from like northern Utah to Montana, it'd be like September seventeenth. Yeah, to the 23rd. 23rd. Sure, of course. Right? Yeah, Do you say the same? Absolutely. I don't okay. care what state you're in. Yeah, okay. Well, that's cool. That's, Montana's I mean, usually a little early. That was totally yeah, spontaneous. But, yeah, I think if I could only pick five days out of the year, it would have to be on the 17th, too, because Sharon's birthday is on the 16th. So You want to talk to a rabid elk hunter? You're going to need to talk to Ralph Ramos. You know how many elk he's killed? You told Did me that. that. Yeah. Elk called or to, to kill or be killed, 368. You said he's an amazing caller. He's the best. I want to learn from someone like that. I would love to. One of the guys the other day said, I hated being with somebody that that was in a seminar the other day. He says, that never shuts up. That's blowing all the time. I don't like that. I said, well, you won't like Ralph. Don't go with him because he never <laughs> shuts up. <laughs> and, but he doesn't. He calls all the time. And he works. And he, I mean, Does it work in call shy areas? Like that? Uh, High pressure DIY areas. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I could ever judge some of the areas like that. You know how you go elk hunting in the early days, going to back to New Mexico. In the early days, no one was there, mm-hmm. so we'd have we'd go over there and we'd I'd have six pl- spots lined up, and I'm going to go to the first one morning, this one the next the afternoon, this one the next morning, this one. Cause I never believe in going back for the least couple yeah, three days, good, you know, and stuff like that. Thing. But uh, you uh, you know, in those days, you were you were all by yourself pretty much in a in a whole unit 16b unit it was like crazy i never ran into any people we didn't run any we didn't know anybody is that no, new mexico not. 16b yeah, new mexico, yeah yeah and the 15 and 16 units were crazy good and uh, no one knew about them when we started going there we'd buy our te- we'd buy go to the hardware store and buy our license really on the way yeah so but then after a while I mean, Boner Magazine did an article on the 16 units in New Mexico, and you couldn't get near the place. Is that when? Is that when it changed? Yeah, one article right. changed it. Yeah, yeah. See, just, you can't tell people your spots. Hundreds of trailers, hundreds. I hate being that guy. Yeah, but so then you're in a high pressure area. So where are the elk? You can't find them. Yeah, you know, they're gone. Yeah. yeah. 
and they're going to leave because they're not going to put up with too much stuff. You know. Back then, did you pack like tents? Um, we we tent hunted almost all the time. Then later in the years, probably in uh, I don't know, probably around you know twenty years ago, eighteen twenty years ago, we got a trailer. You know, but in the early days, we had we tent camped. I just got my first trailer yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> we always say, everybody, our group always says the best days were tent camping. Everybody always says. See, I said that yesterday, too. I told the, I told my guy, I said, I almost feel like there's two ways I want to do it. I either want to, I want some hunts that are like this, where I have this unreal camper. Yeah. And I'm like, totally good. Yeah. Or I want it where it's a story of how bad it sucked. Like, I don't want the in-between. Like, the yeah. in-between yeah. seems like those aren't the ones I talk about. Yeah. I talk about the times where it's like, I pulled up, popped up my camper, got everything all lined out, rolled out my mat in front of the camper, and then I walked out the first morning, and there's a bull standing, like, at the end of the campfire, and I shot him. It's like you talk about those stories, yeah. or you talk about the stories of, like that bull you told me about, 70 days, you know, yeah. the last minute. Like, those, it seems like those are your stories you remember. Yeah. It's polar opposites. Either stupid yeah. how how easy, like, it's either dumb how fast it happened. Right. Or it was amazing mm -hmm. how impossible it was, but you, you like, fulfilled the task at the very end. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. It's, I've, I've come home empty way more than I've come home without. Yeah, that's trying cool to, to say. Trying to kill big ones. And when you could kill, I used to keep track of how many I could have killed. That I just let that go after a while. But you, like, you just do it for your own self-confidence. You yeah. Know, it makes you think you're good at it. And uh, elk humbling will really humble you. you oh, know? yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, when I, when I killed that one up there with a the rifle the last day, I stopped at fishing game. They, they wanted to see it because that was a, a you know, special, special tag I had. And uh, I ran into the the, the game the, the the game and fish the game and fish guy up there one time. He's going to give a license to a girl driving around road hunting up there deer and up at, right by the Grand Canyon Park. And she can't do that. I she doesn't anything about what's going on. Just tell her she can't do that. You know, so I got to be buddies with the guy. You know, yeah. Stuff like that. So he'd look out for elk for me and all this. Anyway, I came back down after I had that elk and they wanted to see it. You know, at the headquarters. So they sent me down. He says, how many elks you see? I don't know, two thousand. You know, I mean, <laughs> what? I'm out here forever. I live here. You know, I see them every day. And uh, uh, how many big ones? You know, big. What do you mean big ones? Well, above three twenty-five. That's not big. I said, how about above three seventy-five? Oh said, my! How many, how many above three seventy-five? I says, two hundred. Oh come on! Oh said, my yeah, god! For real? You know, I tell them these things. I said, they thought I was kidding. I says, I was out there every second. I was back in the dark and left in the dark, you know I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was nuts. As buggy as it was, it was terrible buggy. It was hot. It was miserable up there in all summer, you know? And like, and you're seeing all these elk. It's, well, you got to look for them. I mean, if they're, you know, when it's hot like that, you got to go find them. And yeah. Stuff like that, you know? Fishing game guys, they want to know these things. Yeah. And uh, I tell them, I says, well, I can tell you when the, when they, when the, when the velvet comes off. They say, yeah, when's that? I says, I says, August 15th. He says, well, you don't know that. I says, yeah, I do. I was there. He says, how do you know? I says, because it's two years in a row, the same hour. I watched it. And by the 16th, they're all clean. Really? They said, yeah. I said, yeah. You ask your biologist. They can't give you an answer. I can. 
I don't know if it's going to be that way, but it was two years in a row like yeah. that. Because I was there both, both days. Anyway, because it started August 15th, goes all the way around. So, of course, you're running out of time now. And after a month, you know, I get to go two weeks early before the, the season. and uh, For that tag. For that tag. And then by the time the middle of the both season, half these things are busted in Unit 9 because yeah, they fight well, up there. Yeah. These guys are fighters. And then so I went to New Mexico hunting. I thought, yeah. well, that was pretty stupid, but hey, lots of people. I mean, yeah. you can't find the elk anymore because the people are chasing them everywhere. There's 100 people in Unit unit, unit 10 then, yeah, or Unit 9. Anyway, uh, so then you come back in June, <laughs> and, it's, and uh, you're not even going to kill anything until August 1st when they're hard-horned. They're yeah. not really hard, but they're clean. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty hard. Anyway, so, uh, and then August 15th, they're, you know, they're, they shred again, but yeah. you're, you're trying to kill one because your your season ends at night of August 14th. Yeah. So you're, I mean, I didn't write down everything, but they asked me all these questions about, you know, everything they could think of, how many cows you see. God, I don't know how many cows I saw. <laughs> Thousands of them. You know, are you kidding me? I said, a lot of them are the same, you know that, but uh, these guys have pretty good counts on all that stuff. Yeah. There, you know, and they're using, using cameras. I says, well, we had 140 cameras out up there. I says, but I didn't go use them, but. You know, sometimes, you know, my buddy was there, and he had the, the, the computer to put the card in. We go look at some of them to see where we can yeah. find who's, who's, who's where, because we're hunting eight elk. He's the guy who said, you what? You're hunting what? I said, we're hunting eight elk. Eight elk. Out of all the elk you saw, you're hunting eight. I said, yeah, because we know they're over 400. Yeah. And I said, I'm not quitting. I'm not shooting anything if it's not, I don't think it's 400. I'll go home empty. Like fishing game guys said, that's pretty stupid, you know. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's the rule right now, you know. So it was kind of funny, but yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, and you shoot one the last day of the hunt with a rifle. Oh, sick, you know. But it was done. It was over with. Yeah, you know, we were done. And uh, so, what was whitetail hunting like in northwest <laughs> Northwest Illinois back? How was it like forties, fifties, sixties? Like when did the boom boom happen? Um, it opened in uh, in uh, Illinois in '55, I think. I didn't know that. 55. So you remember the very I was a freshman in high school in '55. You so. remember the first year whitetail yeah. were legal to hunt yeah. in Illinois. Yeah, I killed one on my uncle's farm in yeah. 1955. Field dress 248. Really? <laughs> Nine pointies on the wall. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, how many were there? How many deer? Yeah, were there a lot then? Or? I, mean, I probably saw, I don't know, probably a dozen deer in that weekend from school, you know. Yeah. But I shot him with a shotgun. It was a shotgun season. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Did they give <clears> out the but? When did they start doing the buttons in Illinois? Do you remember? The buttons. They always give out those little buttons, like for, when, for you check in, when you check in a, a deer in I Illinois. It, I'm, I remember it, but that might have just started in the 90s or 80s yeah. or something. But I got my field and stream button for shooting a buck that year. Field well, and stream gave a pin for shooting a white-tailed deer. Really? You still have it? Damn right. I got it somewhere up Jeez. there. Jeez. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that funny? <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that funny you save that stuff? Yeah. But he was a hell of a nice deer, you know. I took that thing to get him cut up, and I, and I said to the butcher, I says, uh, I said, I got a deer out here in the back of the truck. I says, I want to get him processed and he wasn't even skinned yet and uh, i mean he didn't know anything about it so far you know maybe he's not skinned he said bring him in here i says well, i can't lift him he said you lift him one-handed i haven't seen one you couldn't pick up just like this and haul him in here i said we'll come out and do that to this one 
He went up there. He says, oh, my God, I've never seen one this big before. And he says, I said, it's going to take two or three of us on this one because he's 250 pounds anyway. He's 248 on the scale. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty big deer. Biggest deer killed in Illinois for years, weight-wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had to put it on a report or something, what they thought it weighed, you know. Anyway, it's kind of funny. But, yeah. But there wasn't any deer down in central Illinois at that time. Oh, really? No, none. There weren't any. There weren't any in the, in the ballpark. These were just come down out of Wisconsin, down the top part of the state. Okay. Yeah. So um, I sent right along the Pecatonica River. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's where I killed them. And it's, um, I mean, it was fun. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> but that, I had the J.C. Higgins shotgun with the screw-out choke, you know, in the front of it. Yeah. The layer holes in it. Really? Unscrewed that thing. That thing was a killer at 100 yards with a slug. Shoot you. I mean, like this, at 100 <laughs> yards offhand with that thing, it would shoot. And I knew if I couldn't see a deer, I'm going to kill it. I didn't care how far it was. It was, it was really pretty good. But, yeah, we saw it, and I knew the deer were there, you know, because I'd go up there and scout it a couple, three or four weekends before. And yeah. Only 100 miles from town, you know, from up to the farm. From Joliet, where I lived, up to Rockford, it was, it was two hours, you know. So it wasn't a killer to go up there. That's spectacular. Yeah, it was, it was great fun, you know. It was uh we hunted a lot over the years, and a lot up there. Oh yeah, I bet. And and you'd see big ones, so you most years you'd go home empty because you, you, um, you're not killing one bigger than the ones you shot the first time. You know? Yeah. And then it got the bow season. You know, it didn't take long for it to get into the bow season stuff. So. What's your favorite meat? What's your favorite wild game meat to eat? Liechtenstein hartebeest. Really, hartebeest. <laughs> The best meat I've ever tasted in a wild game animal. When they cooked it one night, I shot one in Africa yeah. with a bow, and uh, they cooked it one night. It was incredible. Yep. I think they're one of the coolest-looking animals. I love hartebeest and black wildebeest. I think when it comes to just detail yeah. and, like, I don't know, they, it just seems like they're so different. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I liked it. It was really good. It was just tremendous. Cooked on uh, wood fire. Really? It was tremendous, yeah. I just thought it was the best. I said, we're going to kill. I said, I told the guys, I'm going to kill one of these every day. You know, we didn't, but uh, uh, they were so good. It was just, I don't know why it was just that good, you know. Was it good because you were starving? That was, no, no, we weren't starving. Because I've had hunts from, like, all yeah, I want to do is get find something to I want to just eat a yeah. piece of red meat, and yeah. then you're like, this is the best piece yeah. of red meat I've ever had. Yeah, and I've been down that road, yeah. <laughs> but uh, in Africa, most of those hunts, you get you feed you really good, you know. But, you know, a lot of times you'll make stews and stuff out of really perfectly good meat, you know. Yeah. But this was in... Uh, in um, Formerly were northern Rhodesia. Anyway, what's what can't see the name of the country. <laughs> anyway, um but yeah, we were you know, it was a great place to hunt. You'd see thousand hippos a day, you know, lots of elephants and stuff. You couldn't shun hunt elephants there though. Yeah. But uh, we killed the best lion hunt I ever had by far. But we were feeding a lot of hippos to lion on lion baits and stuff, you know. It was it was it turned out to be really good. Killed that big lion there. What's funny is you were kind of one of the – I think you were probably the pioneer to slow motion video. The, the first slow motion video I ever saw of archery was all the PSE films. Well, Jerry Morrison did those, most of that stuff. And uh, Did he do them first, but you bought them for the PSE movies or – No, no. 
No, he was with us, and we were shooting 16-millimeter in those days, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah how much yeah. lights did you have to have back then? It had to have been just hellacious, how many lights. No, we didn't have any. Really? No, not when we were hunting. No, I'm talking like the slow, the old target, like with the arrow coming out of the bow, the old. Oh, sh- oh that stuff. Oh, um, that was. We weren't doing, I don't think we ever did any of that with 16 millimeter. We could have. I think it was probably the beginning of the, we had the first beta cam in, in the southwestern part of the United but States. That was some of the very first like public videos of yeah. arrows coming out of bows and. Mm-hmm what risers did and what arrow rest right. did mm-hmm. i mean that was all the pse movies back yeah, then it was crazy stuff it was really fun stuff then we did that thing through the ballistic gel when we, when we come out with the x-force bow that was shooting 348 you know and we could show the you know matthew's bow come or anybody's bow come out stick in the gel wouldn't go through we go through the gel and stick in the wall with that bow mm-hmm. you know it was really pretty fun it was really a fair test there was no no baloney in the test it was yeah. really good and we we filmed all that stuff and people just loved it, you know. Yeah. And uh, but that bow was thirty five, forty feet a second faster than anybody else. At shoot the time, little, shoot a little bit heavier yeah. arrow and it shoot through anything, you know. It's yeah. Crazy, crazy good. Mm-hmm. What was um, what was Ulmer like in his heyday? Who, Randy? Yeah. I didn't know him. We trained him down here though. George Chapman trained him. Yeah. The beginning of it, you know. Yeah. He was a very good shooter. Yeah. He was, uh, I always looked up to him. He's, he's the reason I, I fixed target panic. Yeah. He saw me on a range one day. He walked up to me and he said, kid, you'll be a great shooter someday. But he said, you have to get rid of that target panic. And he reached into his chalk bag and he pulled out a Revenger. And he said, if you learn to shoot this, he might be one of the best. And he walked off. That was it. Yeah. And I kind of looked at it like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. He's very sick right now, I guess. Yeah very bad but anyway uh he could you know he was in the 3d circuit he was the first really well-known guy i think yeah yeah you know mm-hmm. and he he just dominated it for f- several years yeah so i give him credit you know for i mean he it didn't come natural for him he worked at it I, yeah he had to you know because he had a lot of competition there yeah but uh you know I, I never got to know him very well though who do you think out of everyone you've ever watched, you've been to Vegas 50 years? 50 years. F- who's the, who do you think's the most natural archer you've ever watched? Um, Ragsdale. I, I think. I wish I could have saw like more of them. It's like one, it's almost like the Bo Jackson. Like I, I'm kind of like living in the, yeah, I think there's several guys, Mikey Leiter, uh, Jack Kramer. You don't even know Kramer's name. Mikey uh, Leiter, I've heard that from Jerry Carter said yeah. Leiter a few times. Mikey Leiter was the first guy to have his wife work, and he was a professional archer. I don't think he ever worked in all those years. This is a long time ago. Really? Yeah. He shot a bow. I knew him when he was a, when he was a little kid. Yeah. Mikey later had a big nose on him. I always said he was a life support system for his nose. <laughs> I kidded with him. But he's a great kid. He had great great parents taking care of him. They got him to those tournaments, and he kicked butt. He was he was tough. What Just about like Regsdale. He's the same. Yeah. They're, 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 you, you almost couldn't tell who was going to win if they were shooting the same tournament. You know, they were tough. Yeah. And Jack Kramer is the same. How good do you think they'd be with today's equipment? Every bit as good, if not. I mean, they'd be better, but I mean – 
These guys were shooting 558 field rounds in those days. 560 is perfect. How much better you shoot other than how many more X's you're going to shoot? Yeah. The score's going to be the same. Yeah. So, um, but these guys were these guys were tough. They shot good form. I mean, I've always been a form guy in there in the yeah. country game. You know, I don't I don't believe there's any luck to it. You know, you got to shoot correct in there. Otherwise, you're not going to be consistent. Yeah, I'm and, all about efficiency and technique. Yeah. Pe- you know, I can debate when people say, "Well, what do you think about this guy doing it this way?" What do you? I tell them, listen, there's exceptions to the rule in anything. Yeah. But there's also the majority. What yeah. I teach is going to work for the mass amount. Yeah. The the people that are the very few that have this abstract form, but they they beat the best with very clean technique. They ha- I feel like they have. If they these, have really bad. If they have this abstract form, they don't last as long. Exactly. I feel like there's windows. Yeah. There's windows where they're extremely dominant. But then they fall in ruts, and maybe they make a comeback. But I think when it comes to just longevity, I feel like there's very specific techniques to archery that just last for the lifetime. Yeah, I I agree. Watch uh, Hanson shoot. Yeah. And a year ago, he was here, came from Mexico City. He's on his way to... uh, um, To Ruben shoot? No, no, to uh, the one in California, the big one. Reading. Oh, okay. And he, he wanted to be able to make sure he could hit the the 110 yard target. Yeah. And exit. Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so we put he put 70 pound limbs on his bow and he was done. Where are you going? I'm gonna go outside and shoot. Okay, I'm gonna go with you. I never really watched him shoot before. Yep. So I got my phone. I got it on slow mo and I'm watching him shoot and I got it in there. And uh, so I, he put a target up on the red targets like this red ring and a center spot about this big. Shot eight arrows at 100 yards like that. Yeah. So, holy mackerel. Yeah. So, this guy's even better than I thought. By the I way, knew he's good. By the way, he showed like maybe a three-inch circle at best. Yeah. When he just when he just like gestured to me with his hand. That, see, that's what's tough. People. So he got well, anyway. So it gets better. Oh. Geez. So he goes down to moves it down to 80 yards, his chest checking the sights, and and. Uh, I said, you got tape per- that tape pretty good? He says, what do you mean? I says, well, did it come out pretty even? Everything, all the yardage just right out? He says, it's perfect. I said, we're perfect. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Okay. So he goes to 80 yards, and he shoots, and uh, and he shoots pretty good. But I didn't go down to the target. I just watched it from back, and, I, and my eyes weren't as good as they were. But I knew he's, you know, like like this, you know. And uh, so then he goes to 70. He shoots four of them at 70 yards, and then he shot three more. And I'm filming them on every shot. And the first four hit the our star's target, which has five different side spots. And then the on the lower right one, the, the, the X-ring is about the size of a nickel. Yeah. He shoots four arrows in there in a row, inside out, all touching. I'm a believer. <laughs> <laughs> this kid's bad. Yeah. It could really shoot. So I walked down to the target. I didn't know how good they were. I knew they were just, I could just see a wad right yeah. there. Yeah. I looked at it, and they're all in a perfect perfect square, inside out, not touching the line, all touching each other, 70 yards. I said, holy mackerel. I walked inside and walked in engineering. I said, I think I just witnessed the best shot or four-year-old shot I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen everybody shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I said, nobody like this kid. There's nobody like him. But he can't win every day. Yeah. 
He yeah. wins, his, wins his share, but he can't win every day. That's what I say. You got Schlosser out there. You got some of these other guys out there. Yep. That's and what I so, say, too. In today's environment, because of the good equipment and better coaching, everybody's better. There's probably 10 to 15 guys that can shoot just like him when they're at home or in their backyard. Yeah. How they all shoot when they're around one another, it all depends. How they sleep the night before. Absolutely. Everything's involved. Did their bow not make it on time? Were they in a brush getting there? Eat the right stuff for breakfast. Did they eat something? You know, is the food terrible? Yeah. There's so many factors that, that go into play, and that's why when people tell me, they're like, why don't you shoot anymore? It's like, I can shoot as best, like, if I could pick my best day ever shooting in life, and I could just repeat that every time I went to a tournament, it wouldn't guarantee me that I could win no. it. There's a dozen people that have that same play button to yeah. where they can make a performance to where it's almost mind-boggling how good someone can be with a yeah. bow. Yeah. And I've seen it with recurves where it's like this guy could could have beat the compound archers today. I've seen it with yeah. Butch. I saw it with Rod White. Yeah. Um, during their heyday, mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, Brady. No, Rod White Brady's shot for same, us those yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. He's good. Yeah, sure did. All those guys were really good um, in their day. You know, you watch this thing on, uh, from the Netherlands, the, the last of the cup thing or whatever it was. It was on 9 o'clock at night. So I'm watching the recurve shooter shoot. Mm-hmm. They shot as good as the compound shooters. Oh, yeah. In the, in the, in the gold medal rounds. Yep. It's like, holy mackerel. These yep. guys can shoot. <laughs> yeah. Then the Koreans showed up, and it gets better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> then you're like, get out of my way. <laughs> get out of the way. You guys can't do anything right. I, um, um, I flew competition aerobatics for... 15 years. Oh, uh, can I stop you there? Because I've wanted to say this several times, but I keep forgetting about it. But you just reminded me. I want to tell you about the first time I ever saw Pete Shepley. I was here in Tucson for, um, it was an IBO. It wasn't like it was like a Southern Triple Crown or something. It was here in Tucson in early nineties. I was here or at the mountain here. Okay, so I'm shooting with John Vazi, mm-hmm. Frank Pearson, Randy Chapel. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at this bear target across and uh it was the year that Randy and Frank both shot Brownings. I was shooting a high country, but I was just an amateur mm-hmm. in this group yeah. of these three pros. So I was like irrelevant. So it was more or less Frank Pearson being Frank. We step up and we're all looking at this bear. And it's a long way across this draw. It dipped down, it came up, and there's a standing bear. Mm -hmm. And John Vazi looked across and he said, man, that's a long shot. And Frank Pearson being Frank said, that's a par two for your PSE. And as soon as it came out of his mouth, your airplane comes full vertical <laughs> out from behind the hill and is like, and here's PSE. Like, did you have it on your wings? wings? Yeah. <laughs> Frank literally said, that's a par two for a PSE. And then just, when you come full vertical in a twist and like here's this PSE plane coming out from behind this target that's on this thing that's 
And then Vazi's like, Pete heard you, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time. Uh, and I'm like, who's in that? And they said, that's Pete Shepley. That's the owner of PSE. He's up here flying. And that was it. Yeah. yeah. That was right over in the mountain, wasn't it? Right yeah, yeah. Yeah. It must have been. Yeah. It had to be then. Yeah. He oh, shot that's in the tournament. Hilarious. That's the only time I ever went over a tournament. Yeah. I was coming back from practice and I had the Russians here. And I should have been shooting the tournament, but I had the Russians here and I'm paying them. So I was doing that. And it's, uh, but, you know, you start talking coaching you know, with the Russians. Here's, I got the best guy in the world, Victor Smolin, who's produced all the world champion aerobatic people. Don't ask me how I ever got into it, but I, you know, had an aerobatic plane and I couldn't fly it. And Mr. Miller from Colorado was teaching me, and he's his license goes back to Lindbergh, and he could, you know, he's teaching aerobatic stuff. And then I got the Russians here, and this went on from there. But it's going, getting to it is it's about the great coaching. Mr. Miller was a great coach at the level I was for the first. I flew one contest in basic, one plus intermediate and advanced, and then went up to limited. Then so I was right at limited in like a month. Yeah. You know. So, but I had the plane, and I had the plane that would do it, and I had the, the best coaches in the world. Yeah. Then I got the Russian coach, and got the Russian plane. It was crazy then how good it was. So, you know, and Mr. Miller, you know, working with the Russians and teaching me and all this stuff. You know, so was, the coaching is just everything. You can't get anywhere without it. And I don't care what sport you're in now. Yeah. You can't get anywhere without it. It's, uh, you, know, you watch Alexander at our place. I had um, Ed Eliason. I said, El, I called Ed Eliason one day. You remember Ed Eliason? Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, I said, I hear that I, I hear that Russian guy's in the country someplace. He said, yeah. You know where he is? Yeah, I know where he is. You got his phone number? Yep. I said, you call him up. Tell him I want to talk to him. And uh, so I called him up. And he got, remember, he's putting sighting on houses in Seattle or something. And uh, on political, I think he's on political asylum. Anyway, so anyway, <laughs> called him up. I says, "I'm gonna send you an airplane ticket. Why don't you come down here?" Really? Yeah. When are you gonna do that? I says, "I'll send. It. We'll get one today. Can you come tomorrow?" Well, in a couple couple days, I can. He's down here in a couple days. You know, rocking around the plant and showing this thing. And says, "As uh, I want you to come to work here." He says, "Ah, oh, not to understand. Uh, you will. You want me to do what I love to do?" I says, "Yep." That's what I want. Can you teach archery? He says, I'm the best. Okay, that's what I want. <laughs> and he never left 25 years now. See, so so he's the reason a lot of people shoot good. I remember when he came. He was, produces. I mean, he produces winners. Because George taught before that. George yeah. did classes. Yeah. George is a good coach. The first time I came here, I think it was Alexander's first year here. Yeah. But he, he uh, George could get you to a level – Alexander could get you to the winning level. Yeah. You know, because that's all he lived. He lived that the whole thing. He did nothing else but coach. Yeah. So you look at guys like that and, uh, you know, where can you get? And you know, Alexander said, we had another guy down there coaching in, in Alexander. I said, well, he's going to give you some competition, Alexander. He says, we'll just see on the results. He <laughs> says, who, who, what kid does which? He says, yeah. He says, you can't beat me. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I'm, I'm team roping, and I'm and I'm going along for years team roping, you know, and kind of getting nowhere, you know, I'm a li- mid-level roper, and and uh, so one day I said I'm going to get the Speed Williams guy up here from Texas, eight-time national champion in a row. No yeah. one's ever done that. Yeah, this guy's a bad motor scooter with a rope. He's geeking rope, and he's crazy good, you know. So I go to Texas, three hundred dollars an hour for coaching. Yeah, it's like five grand for a week, you know, to be there. 
if he comes to your place, it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent a bunch of money with him over a couple of years. I don't know if I got any better or not, but uh, I know I got better. I think I got a lot better, but everybody was getting better because the, yeah. the coaching got better all the way through the sport. Yep. How many team ropers are in this country now? Good grief. I wouldn't even know. 550,000. Really? How many target archers are there? Not that many. Uh, maybe maybe 20, giving it some, maybe 15. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. So my whole issue is that we're not playing the right game. Yeah. It's, uh, so um, what's what's so good about team roping? It's fast, exciting. It's got the element of danger. takes all the skill, same skill level in roping as it does in archery shooting an arrow. It's yep. the same. And a lot of good coaches. Yeah. A lot of good coaches in there, but some super coaches too. You know, yeah. So, um, I'm hoping I'm changing that. I, re I mean, I'm, I'm dedicating everything to just giving free information. Yeah. You know. Sure. And I, th I think it'll make the sport better. Yeah. No question. If we, the, the, I always say we can start enough, a certain amount of people shooting the bow, but how many can we keep? Yeah. That's the hard part. If you had coaching and the right equipment, you can keep them their whole life. But they gotta have something. They gotta have some self. You know, you got to feel good about it. Yeah. I guess, uh, that's a good way to, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. So. This has been really fun. We got to do it again. Yeah. It'd be fun. I love it. Fun. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, I appreciate you okay. having me out. Yeah, this glad. is, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to see some of this memorabilia now. This is <laughs> really, really cool for me. Well, hope you enjoyed the podcast and, uh, we'll see you next time. Everybody knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com